first thing was how much money I lost, which was about 8K in one week. And you can see this on CNBC. And then I also had the hook of being pre-IPO PayPal. That got the inbox opens on LinkedIn. And once that came in, I knew that I could shift the focus, misdirect them toward the real story. I didn't want, I didn't want the focus to be Elon Musk. I wanted the story to be me, but saying that I work with Elon Musk opened the door. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. Hi, Gavin here. This is going to be a fun one on the Business Mastermind podcast. I've got Dan Chan here, master magician, mentor, and marketer. Um, Dan has been is Silicon Valley's favorite uh, magician. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, The Hustle, and um, Business Insider and CNBC featured him recently, but twice in 2020. Dan, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Thank you for having me, Gavin. You know, and not at all. When you approached me to come on the show, I was immediately intrigued. And I thought, hey, let's have a conversation about the business of magic, um, about marketing. But also, you used to do all of your work face-to-face with you know the Silicon Valley tech companies. And then COVID hit, and all of a sudden, you uh, were without um, any means of doing any work face-to-face. So... Um, I want to ask initially a bit about your backstory, your background, and then I want to sort of relive with you, if it's not too painful, that realisation that you were going to have to shift your business significantly in order to to survive. So first of all, Dan, a bit about your background. I grew up in San Francisco. I went to a magnet high school called Lowell, pretty famous around this area. However, I did not excel. Then I went off to UC Riverside and studied business and finance. Afterwards, I came back and I worked for this small company called PayPal um, oh, okay. before it IPO'd. I worked there for 13 months. What was Elon? For, actually, I worked alongside Elon in um, wow. PayPal in a very low-level, entry-level job in finance. Wow. And then I decided that I was making just as much doing magic, and I quit my job. And how did or, you get into magic? Was that something you got into as a kid? or You never get good at magic until you start making money at, at it or you find it as a passion. I saw guys like David Copperfield as a kid on television, but I never thought that I was going to be a magician. I actually thought I wanted to be a lifeguard in college. Yeah, and my yeah. mom told me that that was forbidden. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I respected her wishes. 
And so you were just transfixed as a kid then watching the likes of David Copperfield then? Absolutely. I would watch things at um, David, uh, live as well at Great America. I remember one magician who did um, this trick called Paper Rolls Over the Head. And he, I, I think I may have been heckling him because I was pretty rambunctious. Then he chose me as a spectator. He did this trick where everyone would see what was happening except for me, which is absolutely hilarious. Came back full circle. I started performing that trick and didn't even realize someone did it on me until my cousin said to me, that's the same trick that magician did on you. And then it wouldn't click because I didn't know what was happening. Um, so there was a bit of hypnosis being used there then, presumably. Not hypnosis, but very strong misdirection. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So this was a hobby. This was a passion of yours. And then you started to play around. You started to practice and no doubt went and did some training then. I always looked at it as a business first. I was making $200 per hour, which was not bad as a kid who's 20 years old. It was between 200 to $250 an hour. Uh, very soon after I started. So but you were self-taught then if, to, to the point where you could earn to 200, $250 an hour with the magic that you were doing, the tricks that you were doing then was that all self-taught? A lot of it was. However, I did have a couple of mentors who, who showed me some of the basics. I worked at this shop called Magic Max at the Great Mall. I would work at PayPal then immediately after finishing my eight hour day at PayPal or more, I would have a shift at the magic store and I would work from then till close. Wow. Wow. Um, just before we leave PayPal behind, what were your big lessons about business life from working in PayPal in those pre-IPO days? The power of scale and the power of virality. One is you have to think globally, which is a lesson I did not really figure out until this virtual thing pushed me, this COVID pushed me into virtual because I was very, very happy grasping low hanging fruit. But I realized that if I did not pivot, I would have to work a job perhaps at minimum wage and I actually applied for a lot of jobs right when I first started. I was like, maybe it's time for a career change. I've done over 5,000 shows over the last 20 years, 250 plus shows a year. And I was thinking maybe it's time for a career change. When, when you had the situation when obviously you could no longer go in person to do magic um, because of COVID restrictions, um, did your customers, your clients still say, hey, immediately they would like to engage with you over, you know, on Zoom, for example, or did you have to pitch them that, hey, I can still do this. I can still I can still engage and entertain over Zoom. I would make a couple of public posts and people would see it on LinkedIn and Instagram and other places. But I started, again, almost like street performing, giving it away for free and seeing if it was worth anything. I just would have old customers and I would say, hey, can I do something for you for free? Great. And then immediately I started figuring things out. Once I figured out one thing that really worked really well, I pitched reporters because I was thinking scale. And then I got into CNBC on a sob story. I ended off again on CNBC on this year talking about how I was one of the earliest Airbnb experience hosts. 
And in that article, it talked about these hosts, including myself, getting 15K on the Airbnb IPO. Not a bad way to start. The second thing was, as you mentioned, I was in Business Insider twice this year, plus probably three or four other pretty big media mentions. So how did you get the opportunity with uh, Airbnb to get 15K of stock then? What what, what was the story behind, behind that? Uh, hopefully we can share it in the show notes. I was doing Airbnb experiences with my BayAreaDinnerShow.com prior. And when they went to virtual, they asked me if I could be one of their virtual hosts. And then oh, yeah. it coincided with the IPO. And because... I don't know what sort of metrics they had. Maybe it was an influencer metric or something. They gave me 200 stocks, shares of stock at the $68 IPO price. Wow. And then the first day it popped at 168 or something or one like over $150. Wow, fantastic. So you started to do, um, you showed some magic, show some tricks to existing customers for free. You pitched the, um, the reporters, because you were thinking about scale. Um, uh, from a mechanics point of view, so um, obviously I have no background in, in in your field, but when you're in 2D on a camera, we're restricted in, compared to when you're, you know, got the full use of space and angles and stuff in first face-to-face. Was this, uh, you had to figure out a whole new way of showing or demonstrate things or certain tricks were, were no longer possible? Certain tricks were not, it's not no longer possible. It just didn't play as well in that medium. So there are certain things that play even better. For example, my desk around, you cannot see it, but it's slightly messy. But I have so many things around me where I can grab stuff and immediately show it to you. And what counts is what's in frame. So one thing is I can pull people on the stage and off stage quickly. Mm -hmm. I can spotlight close-up magic, which is one of my biggest strengths. And normally when I would do world-class close-up magic, I could only do it for up to maybe 20, 25 people. Now I can do it for 500 plus people. Wow. And I can create this intimacy and I can create storytelling. And also I don't have to pay rent. Magicians are paying often thousands of dollars in rent. I can run a show back to back with very little reset. In oh, rent in the theater, you mean? Is that what you meant with by rent? Renting a yeah. theater? I, I, I've i heard of a lot of magicians lose money running shows. With this, the only thing I have to do is set up this background that you see that's beautiful backdrop behind me, this small set. Someone can call me last minute and I can still do a show. In fact, I did eight shows back to back on one day in December. It wow. was every half hour. 1, 1, 30, 2, 2.30, all the way, I think, up to 5 p.m. From 1 to 5 p.m., I had a show start. That was eight shows in a row, 12 shows in one day. Wow. And before, I wouldn't do a show in Germany for $300. I, I, charged, I charged thousands of dollars to do a show in Germany. Now, I can do shows for clients with presence in US and India, West Coast and East Coast at the same time. And a lot of these teams, they have a weekly meeting and they wanna make it fun. Some people wanna do client appreciations and they can't do it anymore. 
And believe it or not, my show is actually stronger on Zoom than live because there's more consistency. Before I would have to say, would you like to see me do a levitation? I'm going to have to charge you an extra $500 for that. Now I throw it in every show and my clients love the fact that they're getting more value. That's fantastic. So with the initially, uh, I suppose you say with the skeptical about how effective it would be over Zoom, but you'd already done a number of free demonstrations, hadn't you, to prove to them that, that it would be fun and, and engaging and work over Zoom? I actually didn't know it would really work. But once I hit one or two things that were better on Zoom, I started thinking of the advantages of Zoom. There's certain things that don't play as well, but there's certain things that actually play better. And that's what you have to focus in on. And that's what you have to really lean into that strength, not focusing on that weakness, but really leaning in on the strength. So you mentioned um, around the marketing piece, you got yourself noticed by reporters. What was your angle to get their attention? First thing was how much money I lost, which was about 8K in one week. And you can see this on CNBC. We'll put that in the show notes. And then I also had the hook of being pre-IPO PayPal. That got the inbox opens on LinkedIn. Right, right, and right, once right. that came in, I knew that I could shift the focus misdirect them toward the real story. I didn't want I didn't want the focus to be Elon Musk. I wanted the story to be me, but saying that I worked with Elon Musk opened uh, the door. Just love that. So you to take one of the, uh, the 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 best friends or the tools the uh, biggest tools of the trade for a magician misdirection and then you just apply that to get coverage. That's fantastic. I became a thought leader in many Facebook groups. And some people actually say that I hijacked the groups because I created engaging posts. I added lots of value. And then for one time, some of these groups, actually, I was the most active contributor and everyone was pinging me. And that is one strategy I've used. And I've also had multitudes of strategy because one thing is I've negotiated over 5,000 contracts. So every time you negotiate, you become better at it. You learn techniques and tools and tips that actually can be applied in other industries or in other areas. I want to go back to the emotional experience in terms of um, when you suddenly realized the world had changed, your business had changed. Did you have a moment of uh, you know panic? shit, what am I going to do? Or did you just know immediately what you had to do? And it was a, it was a pivot to zoom. Of course not. <laughs> just <laughs> kidding. Um, yeah, I was scared. Yeah. I remember days where I was just grinding it out. I woke up at 5am, went to sleep at 2am. Wow. I was just thinking of everything that I could be doing. Then I said, what would make the most difference? And one thing was, I felt as a magician, I was hiding behind a trick often. And I felt that the stories needed to come out a lot more powerfully. So I made autobiographical storytelling. Because if someone steals your trick, you don't have a trick. But no one can ever steal your character. So if you make the magic so strong, but made the story integrated with it, people 
will begin to like you. And when they like and trust you, they'll buy from you. That is powerful, profound, and, and obviously very, very effective. Um, where'd you get the insight from that though? About the, auto, about the power of the story, the autobiographical story? I think it was um, a magician named Michael Weber. He said something at one of his lectures that said, he who tells the best story in life wins. And Michael Weber works with guys like Ricky Jay, and they have, I believe, a company called Deceptive Practices, and they are doing movies and movie consulting, and they are some of the top thought leaders in my industry. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert led, like an audio book, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. You were obviously doing a lot, still doing a lot of research at the time to be able to think a different way. So which were the, you looked at your own life and you say, right, I need to tell the story better. What were the stories that jumped out for you? Yes, there was the 8K loss, but what was the, what, what do you draw upon in order to get a really compelling story that will grab attention? Powerful magic that sells itself. Because once I pitched these reporters, I knew that, I couldn't rely on the backstory. The backstory is interesting for like this podcast or when people want to get to know you a little bit better, but the magic has to first stand by itself alone. And I created certain things that no one has ever seen before. Such as? And I created presentations. Um, you'll have to see that at my Airbnb experience for the listeners, but for you, after this recording is over, you can you'll get a sneak peek. You okay. Sneak peek. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. So um, this is, you're obviously in demand to do these back-to-back shows over Zoom. Um, you were you were telling me the story that actually it's become a, a family business now. So if you're fully booked or too expensive, um, your son now is being booked. So share, share with the listeners, share with the, uh, the listeners about uh, you, the development of your, your son, who's now 13, he was juggling, did he say, at the age of th- three, four? At five, he was consistently juggling th- three balls. At age eight, he was juggling five balls. At age 10, he was juggling three flaming torches and picking pockets for real. By the age of 12, he was on national television twice, once on Kids Say the Darndest Things and another time on Access Daily performing for Penn & Teller. That's just phenomenal. That is phenomenal. So uh, apart from being uh, hugely proud, um, what has he taught you? Yeah, he, well, it's all about family first. And I think I really neglected that aspect in the beginning of my business because I put work so far forward. And once I changed that shift, I had this multiplier effect because my wife would work better with me. In the beginning, it was tough because you work from this fear mentality. I remember some days we would do a gig and my grand, my, my father or my son's grandfather was in the car with my son 
and my wife would be nursing him right after the show. That's how wow. quickly we went back to work. Some of these larger shows, I needed my wife with me. And she worked into maybe seven or eighth month into the pregnancy. Oh my goodness, wow. And it was that hard. And, and she, we, we used to do acrobatics. We probably stopped the acrobatics like two months into the pregnancy. <laughs> Crazy, wow. And we were, low, we were low level acrobatics. I trained at the San Francisco School of Circus Arts in their nine month clown conservatory program. And afterwards I still trained acrobatics because I loved it. And you never know what it's gonna lead to. But now I have dreams of maybe bringing in circus performers who are higher level, but I have that background where I can relate to them. And when you relate to them, you can respect them. Also, that's why I've worked at restaurants, staging, because I have this uh, dream of bringing in my show into a dinner show, uh, like uh, not just a pop-up, but a permanent venue. And in order to do that, I need all these other things to validate that because restaurants are a very, very difficult business. And I want to merge fine dining, Michelin rated chefs with a magic experience, but done in a very, very classy way. Well, you know, um, that's what Cirque du Soleil did with circus and theater, wasn't it? They, they, they merged together and the book Blue Ocean Strategy talks actually about how they took um, insights or, or best practice from two unrelated industries in in, in the world of performing and um, created a whole new niche that was a you know a significant multi multi billion million dollar success and it all started with that vision of combining ideas they understood the technical and they understood theater before ringling had very little theater it had elements of theater but it, it felt just as much Broadway than circus. And that were the two elements that they combined in. The, the elements that I want to combine is Michelin, because I've worked at five, at least five different Michelin rated restaurants as a stage. And I've built the networks and I've worked behind the scenes at these locations to understand one, the culture and also what's wrong with the culture because there's, I think a lot of things wrong with the restaurant culture that inherently make it often toxic. And we have retention rates that are horrible. It's it, people work in there for the love, just like magic. They work in that industry for the love, but when you treat your employees right and you have the right strategy, people are gonna die to work with you. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. So um, your son now is getting booked as well as you? He was booked for Walmart's Take Your Kids to Work Day when they Makes couldn't sense. afford me. And then the next one was he actually worked for Allbirds, the shoe company, um, for an all grown-up audience. I think he right now is doing one to two solo shows a week, but he's done over 200 plus virtual shows because what he's we homeschool him so he can just jump in do five minutes and he can go right back to homework and video games and that is the advantage before i was very hesitant to bring him on i would bring him on to twitter and google and other larger companies so that i could one pad his resume second of all teach him about business case studies i want before we went off to these gigs i would have them go on their website and learn about them 
sometimes look up the stocks and earnings report. We would do a lot of research to understand the business behind it. So he would, I don't, he may or may not stick with this magic thing, but that magic thing is what got me in the door at PayPal because once they found out I was a magician, the rest of my entire interview was me showing magic tricks. Really? Yes. To the three people who interviewed me. In fact, after they found that out, they asked me, they were dying to ask, Oh, can you, um, can you tell me more about the magic thing? I said, yeah. And then I led them in to ask, can you show me a magic trick? And then when it was over, they were waving people in enthusiastically. And they're like, you gotta see this guy. We're going to hire him. He's going to. And I said, I said to them something like, I think I said this, if you hire me, I'm going to make your Friday afternoons, the best Friday afternoons every time. That was my hook. And they knew I was a people person. So they, it was a no brainer for them to hire me. In fact, they, they told me you have to sign the contract before Friday because we're going to go through another round of financing and you're going to get diluted if you sign the contract later. So it was the, the guy was pushing for me and he I really made a lot more in the stock options based on that one little push. Amazing. All for back of the magic. So presumably they checked out your resume and you, they, they, you as a finance person was going to, you're going to be capable enough in that role, but the added benefit was you were going to make for Friday afternoon, the best Friday afternoons ever, which is phenomenal. Um, what's, what are the biggest lessons I think from magic, the way that you think through the performance, the way that you think through a trick that you apply to the world of business? I love storytelling and I love how to craft a story and I love roller coasters and how these stories have peaks and valleys. If I I feel that magicians often are hiding behind a trick. Would it be interesting if I was left all the magic out, would you still be interested? Or would you still be interested in watching a show if you knew how all of it worked? That mm-hmm. is the way that I frame that framework because eventually I'm, I'm performing for these really smart people. Eventually they're going to figure out one or two of my tricks, but sure. will they enjoy it? Will they enjoy even seeing the artistry? I want for them to appreciate the magic just as much, if not more, knowing how it works. And where do you get your sort of reservoir of new ideas for continually developing your show? I am thinking of ideas from the business world. So I'm talking about marketing in my show on Airbnb and it's ever evolving. So I've just changed my copy on Airbnb recently to reflect attracting C-level executives and business people. And I also talked about the secrets of hypnotic marketing in one of my shows where I talk about alliterations being hypnotic. So names mean a lot of Most magicians don't even title their shows. Like I had a show called Magic of the Mind. And I think someone else had something similar and I didn't even know that. So I just immediately changed it. So I went from Dan Chan, the magic man, to Dan Chan, master magician, to Dan Chan, billionaire's magician. And then I'm reframing it as the millionaire's mentalist. Oh, I love that. Because there are so many, so few billionaires but there's so many millionaires 
around the world. So that makes it more accessible. Uh, Business Insider featured me as the billionaire's magician. And you can look that up. I'm going to set, we're going to put that in the show notes. Uh, it was titled Day in the Life of Magicians Hired by Billionaires. And that is close to when I rebranded Billionaires Magician because Millionaires Magician was taken already. But then I was like, it's, there's a ring to it. But Millionaires Mentalist has that alliteration. Rhymes and alliteration are hypnotic. There's a writer by the name of Max Lucado. He is always giving these almost sing-song type writings. And they're just absolutely poetic. Um, in the early 2000s, I spent a lot of time around um, um, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming and Hypnosis. So I worked with um, Paul McKenna, um, his UK business partner at the time, Michael Breen, who very much around the business applications, and uh, Dr. Richard Bandler as well. So uh, the one area that fascinated me the most was the hypnosis and hypnotic language patterns. So, uh, yeah, and I've noticed the very... Uh, how very straight when you hold your fingers up to uh, make a point it's like you are fixating attention and your fingers very very vertical there's no bend to it it's very vertical so that fascinates me but I can see that you you're very effective at grabbing attention and directing attention through the camera which is obviously what you need to do to do you do you work but it's powerful yeah it's very intentional when mm-hmm. you crafting these beats and choosing these words. I actually think that you have to do something a lot of times before you get good at it. And you have to do it for free often. So I myself realized I wasn't a very good writer or a speaker. So for a very long time, I was on Quora. I'm not sure. I think I've been on Quora maybe six years. And my sole intent on being on Quora was being both the top writer and becoming the best writer I could be. And that exercise paid dividends. It's helped me create strategic relationships. I've actually helped a friend and business owner by just plugging him once. And he actually said, oh, I've gotten thousands of dollars worth of contracts just off that mentioning his business. Um, I also realized I'm not the best speaker. So I've been on at least 20 podcasts. I did not like the way that I talked. I did not like the speech patterns. I did not like the rhythm. I would, I would do what magicians call a pattern interrupt. Mm -hmm. I would pattern interrupt myself quite often. And right now I'm a lot better at not doing so. Well, I think you're coming across great. And I think, uh, and I noticed that there's a, like you say, the, uh, the uh, rhythm to the way that you're speaking there's a and, and the cadence to the way that you're speaking and the, and there's so much around with magician uh, with hypnosis for example around that pace because if you can un- entrain people's breathing as you well know to the pace of your speaking or the pace of the, what you're doing with your finger or whatever then you can you've got them haven't you you can quickly change take them into an altered state Absolutely. I think I learned that from Anthony Robbins, the Mm -hmm. matching and mirroring. He does really excellent uh, talks on that matching and mirroring and also future pacing people. Mm -hmm. So one one of the things that I did was I future paced someone with regards to embedding the thought of them giving me a thousand dollar tip. And 
most people are thinking this is revolutionary. It was mainly telling someone, I feel I'm worth $1,500. They told me that they only had a budget of X amount, which was significantly less than $1,500. I said to them, I'm going to deliver this result, this result. People are going to gather around me. You're probably going to seal key, key deals at this trade show. Don't think of me as a magician. Think of me as a marketer and as a key stakeholder. I will treat my time on the trade show floor as if I was the business owner with your best interest at heart. I ended up working for them over delivering, getting this amazing um, referral and a letter. And I don't normally get letters anymore because I ask people to go on Yelp and Google reviews. She mailed me a letter with a thousand dollar check saying that everything that I said I would do, I delivered on. And now she's one of my best clients. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. So what's, you know, you look back now to 12 months ago, uh, a little under when you realized that you may lose your business and now actually it's going fantastically well. Um, what was, what was the things that you recognize you did that was instrumental in creating the success that you're having now on zoom? Putting in the work 20 years ago and knowing that I can replicate it and build it back just as quickly. If, uh, if uh, someone who's wealthy loses what they have, often they can rebuild it and reinvent themselves because those lessons are life lessons that they can transfer. Those are the networks. It, it, that was really testing whether I had networks, whether the clients believed in me. And immediately those old lessons came back. Some of them I kind of was rusty at it because certain things I didn't exercise them enough, but I ended up having to relearn one or two of these things. Like right now, I am relearning SEO. I am okay. relearning certain things because I realized that my strategy was to get onto all these media outlets. Once all these media outlets feature me, I'm going to have to have other things because the value of the SEO decreases over time. Let's just say Business Insider isn't in business or they lower, they push you lower within where everything is indexed. Then I'm going to need other strategies. And that means viral content and being able to figure out those meta H1 and H2 tags and the title tags and optimizing it to the best because I'm not competing locally now, I'm competing globally. And that was a very important distinction, but you have to put that in your head. And back to one of those earlier lessons from PayPal days about think at scale, you need to think globally. Yeah. And before you think scale, you need to break it on a small scale and hone it and work it through. So that way, when you scale, you don't have a massive problem. If you scale before you're ready, you're going to end up with a scaled problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how does anybody wanting to intrigued about want to find out more about you or even book you for doing a half an hour show uh, over Zoom to improve Friday afternoons or whatever it would be to improve employee morale or in customer engagement? So how do they get in touch with you, Dan? For private events, contact me at danchanmagic.com. You can see videos um, and all those journal, uh, those articles are linked on my website. But for public events, if you just want to buy a ticket, 
uh, for a more affordable rate, you can just check me out on Airbnb experiences where you can see a publicly ticketed show. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And um, yeah, let's, let's, if, within the links that you've sent me to put in the show notes, um, if you can send me a link to your YouTube channel as well, that would be awesome. Oh, you've got the link there to the Airbnb experiences, which we'll put those into this into the show notes as well. Dan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Gavin. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact. <laughs>